I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Hello and welcome to the Fried Egg Podcast. My name is Garrett Morrison, and today we have takeaways from the 2022 Open Championship. So by the weekend at St. Andrews, it was pretty much the Camerons versus the Rorys. On Saturday, Cameron Smith and Cameron Young started in the final group of the day. And right in front of them were Rory McIlroy and his smiley Norwegian doppelganger, Victor Hovland. By the end of the third round, the two pairs were flipped. McElroy and Hovland at 16 under, and the Camerons four shots back. The phrase match play situation may have come up in the Friday newsletter, and I may have put it there. Look, I thought that the odds were that either Rory or Victor would shoot 69 or better on Sunday. That would mean that Smith or Young would need to post 65 or better. I didn't think that either of them would do it, and I definitely did not imagine that they both would. Cameron Young who's a 25-year-old PGA Tour rookie, deserves more credit for what he did in that fourth round than he'll ever get. He shot a 7-under 65 that included a 3-putt, a drop from a gorse bush, and an eagle 2 on the 18th hole. Young now has a runner-up in the open to go with his T3 at this year's PGA Championship. It's been quite the rookie campaign. But down the stretch at the old course, all eyes were on two players. Four-time major winner Rory McIlroy, and Australian short-game virtuoso Cameron Smith. The decisive stretch was the first half of the back nine. Rory wasn't making many mistakes, but he also wasn't making any putts. After a two-putt birdie on the 10th hole, he basically stalled out, recording one boring par after another. Meanwhile, Cameron Smith reeled off five birdies in a row. He holed putts from 5 feet, 16 feet, 11 feet, 18 feet, and five feet again, en route to a back 9.30. About an hour later, he was the Open champion, one stroke ahead of Cameron Young and two clear of Rory McIlroy. So those are the basic facts. To talk about the deeper storylines of the 2022 Open, I have three interviews for you. The first is with Jamie Weir of Sky Sports to describe that remarkable final round, Next up is Joseph Lamagna to discuss what Smith did well from a course management perspective and how McElroy fell short in the same area. And last up is the Fried Egg Zone Andy Johnson to reflect on the old course itself. All right, it was a great championship, so let's get to it. All right, I am here with Jamie Weir, Sky Sports golf correspondent. And somebody who has been known to root a little bit in a very classy way for Rory McIlroy. So, first of all, how are you doing, Jamie? Yeah, uh, not so great. Um, it's uh, it's a hard one to take that. And, you know, I've got to remind myself that however inconsolable I'm feeling at the moment, Rory McIlroy is probably feeling a hundred times worse. But, look, it just felt as if this this was the one. It was kind of almost written in the stars. It was his his destiny to win this historic 150th Open at the home of golf on the week that perhaps Tiger played the, whole, the, the old course for the final time. It, just, it all seemed too perfect, and it ended up, you know, it was too perfect to be the case because he just got run down today by an absolute machine in Cam Smith. But, um, you know, Rory McIlroy will be back, but this one will be a hard one to take, and it's going to leave a bit of scar tissue, no doubt. Uh, I want the full 18 with, with Rory and with Victor today. And, you know, he hit 18 greens in regulation and had no bogeys on his scorecard and had 36 putts. And that's kind of the story of the round. Uh, so a hard one to take, but my goodness, hats off. When you shoot 64 on the old course, when you shoot 30 on the back nine on a Sunday to win an Open Championship, you've got to say that you deserve that claret jug. So before we get too deep into the Rory stuff, I'd like to give 
Cameron Smith his due credit for what was one of the great final rounds in major championship history, no doubt. What I know you're following the final group, but yeah, what 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 would be your characterization of the way that Cam Smith played the old course this week? Well, it's just uh, obviously for those that have watched the coverage this week, you'll, you'll be aware of the loop um, at the old course where you've got sort of seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, all crossing each other, and then twelve, you tee off and head back towards the town. And I was walking across the seventh fairway, well, actually across the sort of eleventh. Um, just as Rory was putting out in seven. And at that point, we were thinking, this is Rory's for the taking, surely. Um, you know, Victor looks like a rabbit in the headlights. It's just not going to happen for him. And it felt like a two-horse race. And we were looking at the leaderboard. I was with a few of the other boys, with Cal Porter and uh, and with Andy and a few of the other guys. And we're just looking at the leaderboard thinking, yeah, I can't really see anyone making a run from that pack. And then as we were on the 10th and Rory had that incredible lie putt to leave himself a tapping birdie at the 10th, there was a huge cheer to my left and it was Cam holding for a birdie at the 11th. And at that point, you just kind of thought, oh, hang on a second, Cam Smith really isn't that far, that far back. And if he gets on a heater with his putter, which he's prone to do, we saw it at Sawgrass back in March, then he's still a threat. And that proves to be the case. I mean, to rattle off birdies at 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, then to hold that huge par saving putt at the 17th and, you know, a simple tap in birdie at the 18th as well. I mean, it's some performance. And, you know, I honestly thought when he had, when he shot 64 on Friday here and hold what, was it 253 feet of putts? I thought that's unsustainable. That's not going to carry on. That proved to be the case because yesterday he had an absolute stinker with the putter. It just went stone cold. He had that aberration at the 13th where watching him play that, like watching, like looking in a mirror, that's the way I play golf. And I just thought, right, well, that's his race run. But to have two 64s during the Open Championship, one on Friday and one on Sunday, I mean, fair play to the guy. 20 under par. Yeah, he's, he's some player, isn't he? And that, when that putter gets hot, it is red hot. Now, what most of us see on TV when we watch Cameron Smith is the incredible putting and the ability to just make putts from all over it's almost like jordan spieth in 2015 where if he's outside of 20 feet it doesn't matter you think the ball is going in the hole when he gets going and he just seems to be mentally bulletproof with the short putts uh, with any putts that he needs to make and he seems to have some magic with those longer putts now that's obvious right we can all see that on tv pretty easily we can also see the creativity with the short game is there anything about Cameron Smith's game that you think people don't understand as well, having not seen him in person, assuming they haven't seen him in person? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I suppose the indefinable quality about Cam Smith, and I think this probably is still pretty obvious, to be honest. If you watch him on telly, it's just how gritty a competitor he is and how he just never knows when he's beaten. He refuses to lie down. I mean, he's had some pretty rough moments in his young career. He's only 28, but he's had moments where he's thrown tournaments away with, I remember what tournament was, where he went out of bounds on the 72nd hole to lose a tournament. And, you know, those, those are body blows to take. But to win the players in the fashion he did back in March with how many how many greens did he one putt in that final round? Like 13 or something ridiculous. Yeah. And then to go out and do pretty much the same today. I mean, the final round of an Open at St. Andrews to shoot 30 in your back nine, you have to be so mentally strong to do that. Such inner belief, especially when you've got the crowd favorite, 99.9% of the crowd all pulling for the guy in the group behind you. I mean, it just, it takes some serious stones to do that. And there are a few Aussie fans around today cheering for Cam Smith. There were definitely a few cheers I heard from, from up ahead when those pots were rolling in. But, I mean, the mental resilience of the guy after the disappointment he would have had yesterday in his Saturday round is something else. Yeah. Now, one of the great WTF moments that I had today (laughs) was looking at the scoreboard after the second to last group had finished and seeing that Cameron Young was all of a sudden in solo second at 18, (laughs) sorry, at 19 under and uh, ahead of Rory McIlroy, who went on to par the 18th hole and finish in third. And so Cameron Young's round 
almost seems destined to be forgotten, but he shot 65 today. I and know. I, how did he, I, I know, again, I know you were following the final group, but how yeah. did he do that? What, what happened? I know. Well, I, again, I'm just having re- information relayed to me as I, as I'm in the group behind, but I understand that he missed a, he made a bogey at nine, right? Which is almost feels like a double bogey. Yeah. And then he yeah. missed a very short putt at which hole was it? Thirteen or fifteen, maybe. One of them, yeah. There was, and also there was a three putt on on the first hole that w- that didn't oh didn't look good. He'll be thinking. <laughs> he'll probably be thinking this is the one that got away because you're right to go and shoot a sixty five uh, in the final round of an open, and yeah, it's still not the best score of the day, and you lose by one is a bitter pill to swallow. Um, but my word, nineteen under par around the old course in his very first experience of an open. You know, Lynx golf takes getting used to for some players, and Cam Young has absolutely taken it in his stride. And yeah, to shoot a 65 and it gets eclipsed by your playing partner, that's got to be a kick in the teeth. Yeah, I mean, mea culpa, sort of. I, I wrote yesterday in the Fried Egg newsletter that I just didn't see this being anything other than a Rory versus Victor show, and maybe one of them would drop off and, and the other would stick with it. I did not have both of the Camerons shooting under uh, 65 or under i just didn't see that in the cards at all and i didn't not after also what they didn't did see saturday not after what they both did on saturday i thought on saturday they just looked at the stuffing knocked out of them and you know a pair of 66s from rory and victor it felt like right well you know it's going to be we're going to be destined for another sort of jewel like we saw in 77 with watson and nicholas or six years ago at troon with mickelson and stenson it just felt like this is going to be McElroy and hovland going toe-to-toe, blow for blow, birdie for birdie. But Victor just looked like, I said, a rabbit in the headlights. He just looked so uncomfortable, basically, out there. Rory, I thought, for the front nine, just looked so in control. And to be honest, looked in control for 18 holes, but just could not get a single putt to drop. I mean, I think I saw Justin Ray just tweet something like he had 39 putts in his second round at St. Andrews in 2010, and he had 36 putts today. And those are the two rounds in his entire major career where he's had the most putts. So, yeah. I mean, obviously the greens here are absolutely massive, but it's very rare that you have 18 greens in a regulation in your final round, bogey-free, and you still end up not winning. And you started the day four, uh, four ahead of the uh, two guys who ended up beating right. you. I mean, that that is just – that that. I don't know. Justin Ray can probably dig it up, but but that's like, got to be Rory, a pretty I, unusual yeah, I mean, occurrence. Yeah, the record books will show that Rory finished third and the shot behind Cam Young. I think he would have birdied the 18th if he wasn't trying to go for it with that chip. You knew he had to hold that chip for a two to get into a playoff. Whereas if you need a birdie to get into the playoff, you lag it up and leave yourself a little tap in, don't sure. you? So um, it probably could have been, you know, a 69 for Rory. And 19 under par, but that still wouldn't have been, that would still have been one shot too many. Okay. So let's talk about that final game of the day. Rory and Victor, you followed it. What do you think will be a moment or image from that group on this day that will stick with you? I think the moment when, which was a huge sliding doors moment, was when Rory had about, I'm going to put it around eight to nine feet perhaps for Birdie at the ninth. And it just slid by. And that was the first moment where I kind of thought, ah, okay, he doesn't have his putting boots. And in recent weeks, that has been the strength of his game. He's putted so well. How well did he putt at Brookline? And when that one slid by, I was just like, oh, man, he, he really needs a putt to drop here. Um, and, that, you know, if he'd hold that, and I think it would have given him a three-shot buffer, I think that would have just sent the message to the group in front, the cams, if they looked up at one of those yellow scoreboards and saw, okay, Rory McIlroy suddenly... 18 under par now, then that would have been a, a real killer blow. And that could be the moment that Rory will maybe look back on and think, ah, man, that was that was the moment I just let it slip through my fingers. But, I, you know, I don't know how much scar tissue this one's going to leave. He spoke on Tuesday about this being the holy grail to win an Open at St. Andrews. Everything this week, the fact that he missed the last Open here in 2015 when he would have been the defending champion, because of his injury, the fact that he spent the week, you know, that he looked, he was smiling from ear to ear at the champion's dinner. And the other night, he spent the week talking to the greats like Jack Nicholas, Tiger, obviously, Gary Player. It just felt 
as I said earlier, like written in the stars that this was going to be Rory's week. We were going to see him standing on that 18th green at the old course, lifting the claret jug with the whole of St Andrews hanging from their balconies, the crowds packed in the grandstands, just screaming for Rory. And it just wasn't to be. And I, it, it's a hollow feeling. And I think it's a hollow feeling for many golf fans. And we've got to address the elephant in the room as well. It's kind of a hollow feeling for, for the game of golf because the rumours, if they're to be believed, are that Cam Smith is heading to live. If not next week, then imminently or perhaps after the President's Cup. So to have the champion golfer of the year playing you know, on the exhibition tour is going to be a bitter pill for the RNA to swallow and for a lot of golf fans as well. And it would have been a warm, fuzzy, cosy feeling inside if it had been Rory. But you know what? Sport can be cruel. And today was a cruel, cruel day. And I think a lot of us are feeling it. On a scale of 1 to 10, how strong do you think the rumors are of Cameron Smith going to live? Because I've heard those rumors too. We've heard a lot of rumors lately about a lot of different players and there's been a lot of smoke, and in some cases, there hasn't been much fire. How yeah, much right. smoke do you think there is around Cam Smith and Liv, and do you think it's safe to assume that there's at least something of a blaze there? Yeah, well, rum- you know, r- rumors start for a reason, don't they? And all the signs are that Henrik Stenson is going to be going soon, which will obviously create a huge storm for Ryder Cup Europe to have to deal with. He'll be stripped of the captaincy. They'll have to find a new man. It'll be a huge feather in the cap for Greg Norman to get him. And then the the rumours that I'm hearing from speaking to people on the ground here that the the Aussie trio of Adam Scott, Mark Leishman, Cam Smith are all potentially going to jump after this year's President's Cup with Quail Hollow. So those rumours are around for a reason. Now, what we don't know, we've seen in so, in recent weeks, so many players just do huge, unexpected U-turns, usually in the opposite direction. Bryson saying, I'm happy in the PGA Tour. A week later, he joins Liv. DJ saying, I'm happy in the PGA Tour. A few months later, he joins Liv. Now, there could be reverse U-turns as well. All this this stuff, Cam Smith could have a contract sitting on the table to Liv Golf, and he could suddenly decide, do you know what? I've just won the Claret Jug at St Andrews. This is what it's all about. Looking at that claret jug and seeing Nicholas, Palmer, Player, Woods, Faldo, Ballesteros, seeing those names in the claret jug as he sits this evening in his bedroom before he drifts off to sleep, probably hugging that claret jug. Perhaps that changes his mind again and he thinks, this is what golf's all about and I want to stay and win more majors and create a legacy and put my name in the history books rather than just go and accept a squillion dollars. Um, to play exhibition golf. So who knows? Who knows what's going on between Cam Smith's two years at the moment? But it would be a, a massive blow, um, I think, just for golf in general, if the Open champion was to join Liv. And let's hope that if it is the case that that offer's on the table, let's hope he's reconsidering it right now. Yeah. And, and you know, you described a thought process there that we might hope Cam Smith might go through. But yeah. the other side of that is that he could equally go through the thought process of, well, look, I have a bunch of exemptions in the majors now. <laughs> totally. And and I don't have to really worry as much as some other people do about being able to play in the majors if my world ranking kind of goes off a cliff. And so that's present as well. And I think that this has been hanging over the entire week. You know, a lot of us haven't wanted to admit that live is a factor at this championship because it just seems you know, so to to kind of disrespect this open at St. Andrews totally. to be talking about Liv. But guess what? That's part of what made it feel significant for Rory to potentially win because he has been the main anti-Liv voice in golf. And if he won, yeah. then that would have been bigger than just Rory winning his fifth major. It would have meant something for this kind of existential battle over men's professional golf. Did you feel that in the air today at St. Andrews? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I've I've definitely made a conscious effort this week to try not to talk about it because I don't want it to overshadow, you know, this historic moment for the sport at this historic venue. But, you know, the, the, the final part of the tournament drops at well, 6.55pm, 6, our time over here in the UK this evening, and at 6.56pm, it seems we're talking about live again, because this is a fractious moment in the game of golf. We don't know what's going to happen next. We don't know what decision all of the majors are going to take regarding 
the tour the live golf and whether players on that can participate in majors that's still a huge unknown factor there's still a huge question mark it would be very difficult to imagine open champions getting banned from returning to the open so as you said cam smith is he's got 32 more opens to play until he's 60 years of age right as things stand but yeah it, it look who really knows what, what's what's going to happen um i certainly felt you're right that sort of that feeling of you know good versus evil is perhaps over-egging the pudding but it would have felt that if rory had won today everything was good with the world you know everything was left a warm fuzzy feeling for the entire game of golf and as it is it's a champion a very deserving champion he played the best golf of the week but a champion with this huge question mark lingering over his future for sure now from a pure golf perspective it was a great championship the old course was wonderful all week so a lot of positives to take away but equally a lot of questions to ask about the future of golf uh, coming off of this. So uh, thank you so much for discussing all this with me, Jamie. Appreciate it. And go have some fun in St. Andrews. I will try my very best. As things stand at the moment, I'm sitting in the grandstand by the second tee box. I'm <laughs> looking out over the 18th fairway and the 17th green, and it's like a music festival. There's just people sitting down. Uh, cross-legged having picnics and drinking a few beers everywhere so i'm sure the party would have been a lot rowdier had rory mcelroy been the champion golfer of the year but it's cam smith congratulations australia on this occasion you've outdone northern ireland but our fellow will be back thank you so much jamie this episode of the fried egg podcast is brought to you by usga memberships the usga is working to make golf accessible to everyone who loves the game a great example is the inaugural U.S. Adaptive Open, which is being played this very week at the Pinehurst Resort and is giving adaptive golfers the chance to compete for a national championship. Support from members helps the USGA continue to make golf a game for everyone. If you believe in this mission, join today. Go to usga.org slash friedegg and become an 1894 club member. If you use this link to get your membership, you'll receive a members-only U.S. Open hat, a year's subscription to Golf Journal magazine, a personalized USGA member bag tag, and other benefits. That's usga.org slash fried egg. All right, back to the episode. All right, I am here with Joseph Lamagna, who is a regular guest on our Takeaways podcasts. I always like to check in with you, Joseph, because on days like this, you kind of cut through the sentimentality nicely. And there's going to be a lot of sentimentality out there today. And it's not that I don't endorse that in this case. It's just that it's useful to find another perspective. But Joseph, you are the founder of Optimal Approach Golf. You write the Finding the Edge newsletter, which is excellent. And uh, that's who you are. So uh, thank you for being here. Appreciate you having me. That was quite the eventful day of golf. So I was excited when you had asked me to come on the pod so we can flesh out some of our thoughts. Absolutely. I, I, I sensed on Twitter that, that you had that you had some ideas brewing. And, and so I'm really excited to get into those. The first question I want to ask you, I mean, I want to give you some freedom to go where you want to go here and tell me your ideas. But the first thing that I'm wondering is, is there a story to tell about this day that doesn't just have to do with Rory missed putts and Cameron Smith made putts? Because that's going to be the narrative. But I think there's probably, I, I looked at the stats here a little bit, not the advanced stats, but just the normal stats. And uh, I feel like there might be something else going on here. Yeah. So I'm very analytically driven. I always am looking at the stats. It's also worth being cognizant of what the stats do not reflect. And one concept or important theme, I, I think, especially with regards to Rory McIlroy, is that stats don't tell you a lot about shot selection. And that is where I take my biggest issue with Rory in particular, uh, and, and especially how much he tries to curve the ball at times. Now, I want to uh, preface this with saying that I know a lot of golf purists um, will not be happy to hear that curving the ball a lot is not advantageous. Um, it, Wait, who, who are you calling a golf purist here? Let's, let's be clear about it. Are, are you calling me a golf purist, Joseph? I'm calling you a golf purist. I'm calling a lot of the listeners of the fried egg a golf purist. I myself consider I consider myself a golf purist. You're, you're so. coming after everybody, including yourself. Here. Yeah, okay. it, it right. brings me no joy to say that. But I, <laughs> I do. I am high conviction 
that the amount Rory curves his ball at times comes back to bite him. So to give you one, I have many examples, but to just go through a couple of them. On his Friday round, holes 8 and 11, the par 3s, Rory tries to hit this massive sweeping draw into number 8, and he ends up leaving himself like 150 feet on the putt. It doesn't curve, leaves it way out right. That hole played to a 3.08 stroke average for the day. So it depends what number you want to put on his chances of two putting from there. But I would feel very confident saying it's less than 50% of the time he's two putting that. I think it's probably closer to like 75% of the time he's not two putting it. But okay, he's giving up a significant amount of strokes on the field with that tee shot. Now, I've had a lot of people then text me and say, well, what about hole 11? Talk about hole 11. The other par three where he hits that draw in again and he makes birdie. He makes a 16-footer on number 11. And I will concede, like, he hit the draw, he made birdie. That hole played to an average of 3.22. And not to bore people too much with the numbers, but he doesn't. he's not going to make that putt every time. He's, he's probably going to make that putt 20-25% of the time. And the ex- extent of my argument here is that when you zoom out and you try to hit those sweeping draws, over the long run, the big misses are going to eat into the returns of when you actually execute that shot. And so between those two holes, Rory McIlroy, one of the best players in the world, loses strokes on the field tee to green. And that includes the averages of a lot of players who are much worse than him. Rory should not be losing strokes tee to green. Did you see him working the ball both ways today? And would you rather see him kind of sticking with a shot shape? It is absolutely an advantage to be able to work the ball both ways. I want to be clear about that. But when there's no wind, especially today... You don't need to curve it very much. If Rory's going to curve it, I'd like him to just to see him do it just a little bit, not these sweeping draws, sweeping fades. And so there were three very clear examples where it was like my eyes were bleeding watching the tournament today. His tee shot on hole nine, right? Drivable par four. He tries to go for this big draw off the tee. The, he hits it to, I think he leaves himself 55 yards. Just for some some quick math here, it's a 350-yard hole. He hit his drive 322 yards, and he left himself almost 60 yards in. If you're a math buff, you'll know that that's pretty far from a straight line. And I'm not arguing that he should just be going directly at the flag. But when you try to hit these you know, significantly sweeping draws and fades, you're taking on a lot of risk with those misses. And I think with a much flatter shot shape there, Rory could easily have been putting for eagle. So sure, it could have only been a couple yards here and there. Maybe he'd, with a strategy I'm advocating, he ends up 45 yards from the hole instead of 55. And that's the difference between winning the golf tournament. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, okay. Let me lay out what the easy narrative is going to be based on kind of the traditional numbers that get cited most often on traditional coverage, which is, which has to do with, you know, greens hitting regulation, right? Which maybe doesn't mean too much at St. Andrews because of the sheer size of the greens. We, we need to talk about how close the ball is to the hole and a number of putts, you know, the length of the putts made, things like that. When you look at those kind of traditional numbers, you see big differences between what Cameron Smith and Rory McIlroy did today. And this is what the I think what is going to be the dominant story about this tournament is going to be built on is is these numbers about the putts that they made. So Roy, the longest putt that he made today was five feet on eleven. I'm not sure how long the putt he made for that two putt on three was because it seems like the the shot tracker kind of went screwy on that one, but he just made a five footer. <laughs> like that's it. He made no putts of note today. Cameron Smith made a nine footer, a seven footer, a six footer, a 15 footer, an 11 footer, a 10 footer. He had a handful of sensational lag putts. Rory had a couple of really good lag putts too, but I'm talking about Cameron Smith, you know, from a hundred feet, getting it to two feet or one foot. It was a great putting performance today. Cameron Smith beat Rory by two shots and so what is the argument that you would lay out that that's not what the real difference was between them today? Well, I, I don't disagree that a huge part of the story here is that Cam Smith putt 
very well and he's one of the best putters in the world but the point I would make is it's not about turning this thing into a putting contest there are other shots that you get to hit and Rory didn't convert on holes 9 12 or 14 which are some of the holes where he should have been in the best position to so like I'm saying with the big sweeping draw on number 9 on number 12, he tried to hit this huge sweeping cut off of the tee. Ended up having, I don't remember exactly how far he had for his birdie, but 12 feet or so. Like, Look where Cameron Smith was on that hole. I'm not going to argue that it was perfect where Cam Smith hit his tee shot, but the the argument I would make in reference to, well, what was the difference between them? You don't want to be in a putting contest if you're Rory McIlroy versus Cam Smith. So it, it it's not... Uh, effective to only talk about the putting numbers. A lot of other stuff happened there too. Rory could have won the tournament by five if <laughs> throughout the course of 72 holes if he's making smarter decisions. So I, I fully believe that Rory McIlroy is one of the most talented players in the world, if not the most talented player in the world. People always say that, like, why doesn't he win more often? I'm offering a, a suggestion here that his shot selection is not always smart. And this is not a new idea for me. I have been calling this out uh, <laughs> for a while now and I'd be happy to produce more examples but it comes back to bite him so I don't disagree with the putting argument today but um, I mean Rory had a huge lead coming in he actually didn't gain strokes on the field today total so Mm -hmm. uh, there's a little bit more to this story than just Cam Smith made some long putts yeah yeah and I, I agree with you and one big reason why is that you know going back to these kind of traditional numbers If you look at the opportunities that Rory had to make birdie today, aside from the greens that he was driving on par fours and the greens that he was reaching into on par fives, he really didn't have any opportunities for birdie inside 10 feet aside from on the third hole, a six foot putt that he missed. He was not sticking his irons within that really kind of super makeable birdie putt range and it wasn't just because his irons were bad uh, not necessarily it could also mean that there was just there was there was stuff going on from tee to green where he was not able to give himself a lot of birdie chances from short range and i think that that's going to be an underrated part of the story today yeah i'm glad you're contextualizing his round a little bit more because stats are great I'm a proponent of strokes gained, but you have to call out the shortcomings of strokes gained. It These are a, a system of expected values based on aggregate numbers. So for example, Rory leaves himself in a pretty bad spot on number 14, the par five today after his second shot. Yes. Yes. Right. He can't, he can't get that chip within four feet. That's going to show up as poor strokes gained around the green for that shot. Which may be true that, you know, from 13 yards in the fairway, there should be a particular expected value. That's not going to be true at St. Andrews in particular, where you have significant undulations. Like these are PJ Tour average numbers. So at almost no course more so than like St. Andrews or Augusta, these aggregated numbers in a really small sample, like one round, can be misleading. All seven footers are going to be given the same expected value. And so, yeah, Cam Smith easily part of the reason he putt well could have been that he was leaving himself some easier putts. So people need to be very careful when interpreting strokes gained in a small sample, because as you're adding context to it, uh, it, it's worth examining that a little bit further and and calling out some of the shortcomings of those numbers. Yeah, it's it's worth looking into why Rory was in the places that he was in today, basically. And and that's a complex question because it has to do with with what he did off the tee, with what tactics he was using overall you know you've mentioned the shot shaping and how he did on approach and we generally think of Rory being impeccable in those areas and often he is but you know today he was just I I felt like he was a little bit off tee to green and that the putting was off too but man there 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 were a lot of ways that he could have shot 68 today and gotten to 20 under and been in a playoff and and he just really didn't do any of them now on the other side of it you've pointed out some of the tactical shortcomings as you see them of Rory kind of overshaping the ball. Um, often people say like, you have to shape the ball in Lynx golf. This is, you know, having a nuanced game is, is really what you need. And in fact, that's, that's a reason that people kind of endorse Cameron Smith when it comes to these firmer and more complex courses, you know, because he kind of has that reputation as an artist, but 
what did you see from Cameron, Cameron Smith tactically, or did you see him, you know, sort of performing at a superior level tactically than Rory this week? Yeah. So generally a lot of modern golf analytics kind of gets boiled down or at least distilled down for public discourse as be aggressive off the tee and conservative on the approach. So just to to tie a couple ideas together here, when I was watching St. Andrews getting ready for this week, if it was going to be very windy, the need to shape your shots a little bit more and to get crafty was going to be of much more importance. As soon as I saw, like, this is not going to be windy, it's a bomb fest. And that's what this was. right? Cam Smith, with the exception of, I, I would criticize his laying back on 18 especially on his second round which it was, I, he might it was an anomaly admit. too the, the the other days he pushed it up near the green i don't know why he did that it didn't make any sense but yeah. cam smith is a very aggressive player and he like rory so I, I will give rory a lot of credit rory recognized i need to hit driver over and over again he did it i'm not i'm not being critical of rory's entire course management here like i, I picked him to win i picked rory to win before the week mm-hmm. Cam Smith knows, like, he knows to be aggressive, sometimes to a fault, but at St. Andrews, when he missed with some of his aggressive approach shots, he has the short game to get himself out of some of those situations. Uh, And and if you're playing at Brookline and you short side yourself, you may not have the opportunity, even if you're Cam Smith, to flop some kind of shot that ends up, you know, converting that into an up and down. So I think St. Andrews was perfect for Cam in that he could pretty much just rip driver off the tee all day. And despite not being the most accurate player, put himself into positions to score. So uh, this is a testament to a lot of the players in the field. I think pretty much everyone understood, like I just got to go out there and bash driver. And if you look at the leaderboard, it was a distance fest. Yeah. Yeah. And and let's not underestimate the fact that Cameron Smith had two extraordinary putting days round two and round four. But as you're saying, he put himself in position to have those extraordinary putting days and that's kind of his game you know that's that's why there maybe why there's some some range in in how he performs day to day because sometimes the aggression is going to get the best of him but when he's hot with his putter he just can go super super low and that that worked in his favor this week so st andrews there was some talk this week about whether it's it's obsolete for the modern game right matt fitzpatrick weighed in on that and he said yeah it kind of is right Fitzpatrick's a bright guy. Right. What do you make of that? What What did you make of St. Andrews as a test for the modern championship men's game this week? Yeah. Well, I think in general, a lot of courses could be rendered obsolete under the same principles that Matt Fitzpatrick would, would probably describe here. I will say, I think with a lot of wind, St. Andrews is not obsolete. And whether you have wind or not, it's still interesting. I think it's an interesting test, even if it becomes a distance fest. So let's rip driver, and then you have to hit these creative short game shots. So do I think it's become obsolete? A little bit. I think the strategic value of St. Andrews was certainly not on display today, or the, really the rest of the week. You need wind. And it's tough to schedule a championship knowing that you need wind for the course to have teeth. So I would agree with him to a point, but that doesn't that doesn't make me think that we need to stop going to St. Andrews. I think it's still an interesting test, even if you're not going to watch guys hit five irons, you know, from 230 yards and watch it roll out. Where do we see that? Any, where do we see that? Yeah, we, we really don't see it anymore. And, and one thing that I was sort of impressed with this week when it came to the course and its test was that I felt like it was a pretty good test of driving. I mean, the the line on St. Andrews is that you can spray it and you'll be all right. And, and to an extent, that's true. Some holes more than others. But man, if you missed in the wrong place, then the punishment was really, really severe. And that factored in to the shots that guys were playing off the tee. And I think that, that that made it a more interesting test of driving than maybe people give it credit for. Yeah, and, and I will say I, I had tweeted this out there but just just to reiterate i do think some holes at st andrews are almost like if you were to say what if we designed a hole where there's zero reason to hit less than driver just to see if some people still will and you'd still have commentators saying hey he's taking the conservative smart play here like (laughs) right no matter if you designed a 350 yard completely flat hole no bunkers there would probably be some players who talk themselves into an iron off the tee 
I actually think hole one at St. Andrews is kind of like that. I think the next time they go there, you will see players get way more aggressive. I, I have no doubt Interesting. players are being too conservative and not pushing it up there closer to the burn. But to your point about it being an interesting driving test, 17, when that pin is on the left side, angles matter on that shot. You cannot just bail out left and expect to make par. You can't. There's Those left pins are not accessible. So it's a bit of a dramatic way to create that angle and make players take it close to out of bounds, kind of like 14 at Royal St. George's, but that works. So uh, I am with you. It's it's an interesting driving test, but that's pretty much what it is, a a driving and short game contest. Yeah. And and that's why Rory was a decent choice this week. And, you know, why, why it's somewhat remarkable, in fact, that Cameron Smith came out on top, you know, Cameron Smith can maybe win anywhere. I think that that can be said about him. But Cameron Smith is not knowing, uh, not known for being, you know, a, a great, great driver of the golf ball. But you wrote an article about him a while back for the Fried Egg website where you noted that he had added some distance. Do you think that came into play this week? Oh, absolutely. There, you, you look at the leaderboard. They're, they're all bombers. Pretty much with, without exception, they're all bombers. So absolutely. Um, and one point that I would like to make that I think is maybe subtle, but I've seen some people say that, Cam Smith can do well at both Augusta and at St. Andrews because they're wide. While I would agree, I would take it just one step a little bit further, which is to say that wide misses, you're still playable. So when there's short grass like that, Cam Smith can still hit himself out of those situations. If a course is really wide, but the the rough is super thick, that's not going to be as good for Cam Smith as somewhere like Augusta or St. Andrews where that rough was playable. So um, I think any course where Cam can just go out and bomb it and get away with being a little bit inaccurate, he's going to have a chance to win. But that's not Sawgrass, and he won there too. So Cam Smith is a very well-rounded player, especially with this added distance. He's dangerous anytime he tees it up. Yeah, and now he's exempt for a bunch of majors. So <laughs> uh, get get used to his presence at, at the top of uh, leaderboards if he maintains his his current form because uh, – yeah, he can he can compete a lot of places. He's not going anywhere. Yeah, Cam, when you watch his short game, you know that if he's hitting the ball well off the tee, he's going to be in contention. So uh, definitely pretty bullish on Cam Smith. Yeah. All right. Always interesting to talk to you, Joseph. Thank you. Um, we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds great. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Garrett. All right, I am here with Andy Johnson of the Fried Egg. Are you in your dorm room right now, Andy? I am. I am. I just uh the sun just went down. It's been kind of a really cool night as St. Andrews it, obviously the old course turns back into park on Sunday night and like there've been you know my my dorm room overlooks the road hole green and the Swilkin Bridge and I've been looking out and there's been like 50 or 60 people on the on the 17th green having putting competitions. And, uh, you know, wow. there's like, well, we were walking back uh, after the tournament. There's, you know, a, probably about a two-year-old out hitting balls and uh, people taking pictures in the road hole bunker. I mean, just, you know, one of the neatest, uh, I, maybe the thing that sticks with me the most is is how... I just I can't get over the fact that all this happens right after the tournament and after thinking about all the other major championships that I've been to, like the idea of of people just loitering around on the golf course until dark uh, is absolutely crazy after a major championship. But that's what happens here, and it's just a magical place because of that. It 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 makes you think some some you know after spending a week out here and and seeing specifically that you know, and how intertwined golf is with this community and how this golf course is the town's golf course. Like, how did, is this where we started and how we got to some of the places that we are with golf? That is a huge story about how, yeah, how how this game started with a course like this that is being treated in this way. I'm not saying it's treated badly, but it's being... You know, it, it's sort of like golf courses we regard as being so sensitive and so fragile that we can't have people walking around them. They're going to ruin the golf course. And here's the old course, sturdy old, 
burly old course just sitting there being like, yeah, come on, two-year-olds, you can you can take swings here. You can have a picnic in a bunker. Come on, I'm I'm fine. You know, I'm I'm here. People I'm are gonna doing headstands and cartwheels on the seventeenth green. Like think about incredible. Think about that happening at the country club moments after the uh, U.S. Open concluded. Yeah, or Augusta, they, right? They, <laughs> send, they would send the cops to to shoot you down if you did that on the 18th green at Augusta. So yeah, I, 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 I wish I were there. It, it, the, these are the moments when I, when I saw the tournament going on, I don't think I ever really felt like, Oh, I wish I was there in that huge crowd, like trying to see what's happening. The moments that I wish I was there are it, it's like right now when people are just walking around the course on a beautiful evening, having a fun time. That's so appealing. That's such a, that's such an idyllic scene and that that is the image of golf that I wish were out there more. Well, maybe that's you know we we gotta that means we gotta rebbe that by getting you out here, like getting you into town on a on a Saturday night, so you can spend an entire Sunday having a picnic out there. That would be the plan. <laughs> that that would be the best way to experience the old course for the first time. But speaking of first times, this was your first time at the old course. A lot of people are stunned by this. They like to get the digs in afterwards, you know, like, oh my God, you haven't been in. to the old course. And they can't get even them in when anymore. You're there, even when you're, yeah, you, you, you can't you do that bit anymore where you say you're a fraud, but um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it, yeah, okay. Uh-oh. We haven't been maybe, to St. Andrews. I'm Augusta, sorry, you know. <laughs> Augusta might have heard, and they might have called, radioed in a, a a policeman. Wait, what? What happened? Are did there you police hear the out siren there that just went off? Oh, over, I didn't. I didn't. Oh. Okay, yeah, <laughs> they're, they're tracking our. <laughs> actually, they don't want people doing cartwheels on the green. Um, in any case, uh, this is your first time out there. Uh, I just wanted to get your impressions of the course, whether they be general or specific. We've started talking sort of about the spirit of the place and how it is so woven into the town and how people just sort of walk all over it uh, and and have done for hundreds of years. But, you know, architecturally speaking, what were some of the things that that really jumped out at you? Um, God, there's so many. I uh it's it's yeah. almost should we try to organize to this somehow well, where do we start I, I think um I think the number one thing that sticks with me from the tournament standpoint is the how it's got this elasticity about it with scoring about you know nothing and it's very similar in a way to Augusta how we feel about Augusta National but nothing no shot out at the old course is unattainable um, no, you know, there are plenty of opportunities to go get red numbers. It's, it's very easy to make birdies at the old course. It may be not very easy all the time, but there are very, every hole effectively is a birdie opportunity. And that makes low scoring extraordinarily attainable. However, as we saw all tournament long, you know, low scores are available when you're in the right positions. And the second you get out of the position, that's when your round often gets derailed. And while there were 64s, oh, was there a 64 every day, I believe, maybe? I don't know. Was there a 64 on Saturday? I think so. There, there might have been. I think 64 was the low score every day. But it was very, very rare for there anybody to shoot below a 66. Uh-huh. So it wasn't like, oh, there was a flurry of 64s. It was, no, this person played extraordinarily well. And very few people played extraordinarily well every day, which is what led to such a great tournament with three players coming down the stretch with a chance to win. Um, one on the outside with Cam Young, who had an unbelievable finish, but three players who had clearly separated themselves from everybody else. Now, we could get into some nitty-gritty other things that I noticed, but I think the the big overriding point about the old course and the architecture is that it allows you to attain scoring. But the second that you miss, you you play the wrong place, it takes away your chance to score. And at that point, it becomes about, I need to play really well. I have to hit usually a great shot to make a, a par. And I think that's, uh, you know, when you look at the tournament, I I was kind of bummed out. I, I 
what I requested uh, Will Zalatoris on Saturday because I, you know, obviously he's somebody that's a, a disciple of decade and and very strict with how he plays golf courses because I wanted to talk to him about you know h- how his strategy had been going and and it had to change because there were places that you had to play to certain spots to have chances, especially with the way the RNA tuck pins. And it just like, it really exhibited lines of charm and, and strategy. If you're into strategy, this, this was the week. If you understood the golf course and, and that's the tough thing with the television is it's so hard to see in the middle of the day with cameras that are 30 feet off the ground, the contours and what makes these shots so hard. Well, what makes one side of the fairway harder than another? Because often it has to do with sight lines, you know, and it, you can say as much as you want that the guys know their distances, but when they've got a big dune in front of them or a big uh, ridge in front of them um, from their angle in the fairway, then it makes the shot harder. It just does. So, uh, okay. You've, uh, you've said that one of the special things about the old course, at least as a championship test, is that you can attain scoring if you're in the right positions, but if you're in the wrong positions, then things can go south pretty quickly. What's a hole that you think exemplifies that? Um, so I think like obviously the 16th today and the I think most people watched the final round was a really great example. Um, and we saw it play out down the stretch. Um, early in the day, I was watching and I saw Justin Thomas hammer to drive. And, and a lot of guys were hitting driver. And... That was a really smart play when the pin was on the right side. It, uh, this week, the pin was on the left side twice and on the right side twice. And the days that it was on the right side, you could hit it over on the left side of the fairway and just in, or in the left rough and dump it over to the right side of the green because there's no bunker in there. And again, like, you know, this is a simple golf strategy, right? Pin on the right, hit it left, it opens up the green, right? And then, but then today with the pin on the left, you know, Players that hit driver were put into a really precarious situation. Even Cam Young from the fairway, he had like 70 yards. It was an unbelievable tee shot watching that up close. Him hitting tee shots is he can, he an can, extraordinary he can smash thing. Yeah. Um, but, but from there, you know, in Cam Smith, I want to say he hit like a five iron off the tee. It was not, it was not a three iron um, based off the loft, and it was an iron. Um, it was like a five or six iron and he laid back, but what that allowed him to do was to have a shot that run ran up the hill, up the slope to get there, even though he was on the left half. And I saw something similar on the fourth hole with Scheffler yesterday, where he he laid back and he was a lot he was able to climb the slope. But anyways, on sixteen, JT in the morning hits it to the right and hits this wedge. He's in the perfect spot up there to kick in range. And it was like a simple birdie. But then we saw every leader come through outside of Cam Smith, who had the makeable birdie chance. He had about 20 feet. Everybody else came through, hit driver, and hit a lot. There were a lot of great drives that were hit. But none of them had actual chances at birdie because they were in the wrong position. You know, that was a position at that point you're playing for par, like, or giving yourself a long putt at birdie. And Rory obviously almost made his birdie putt, but he was 45 feet away, you know, and that was about as good as he could have done from his position. So I think that's like, that was a really good example late on Sunday that exemplified that where laying back actually gave you and having a long, I, I mean, Smith, I think he said he hit a six iron in there. Like that's not something you want to do, but that's that gave him the best chance to hit it close. If he in and nobody would take nobody would be crazy enough to take on the right side on purpose with the driver because it's OB right you know off the fairway. Um, but with that iron laying back was the other option to give yourself a chance to get to that pin by using the slope. Right. Yeah. And, and just to clarify, the, the whole moves to the right, right? So mm-hmm. the longer you hit it, even if it's on the same line that Cameron Smith hit his iron, the longer you hit it, the more left you are in relation to the green because the hole is moving more and more away from you, right? 
And so yeah. that angle into the green becomes kind of more and more toward the road over the green. The road's not as obviously not as close as it is on, on the 17th hole, but it's there and you have the bunkering along there. It just makes the angle tough. And this is not a new strategy thought about 16. Literally, this is what Alistair McKenzie was talking about in his book, Golf Architecture slash Spirit of St. Andrews, uh, about what the strategy is for the 16th hole. That has been there for like, you know, probably a couple hundred years at this point, which is amazing to me that still this this kind of uh, quandary is being presented to players at, at this course in, in 2022. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, and it was all over the place. Like you saw it in one of the other things that the old course has and, and was working against players was that wind it was coming off the left uh, today. So it made it even more difficult in that case. Like a lot of times that's the other neat thing about the old course is how, how the wind, it comes at a crosswind, right? For most of the course, the only holes that tr- typically play into the wind are one or into or down or one eighteen. And then uh, at the loop, 8, 9, 10, 11 are the ones that, that kind of go into it. And, and it. But all those other holes play predominantly in the crosswind, which just makes it, it makes it harder. You need to be on the right in the right spots because of those crosswinds make it so hard to get at tucked pins like they were this week. Um, that That's another thing that I think is just kind of neat about it is how when when your predominant wind is crosswinds, the holes have to move in different directions far less, if that makes sense, for them to change significantly. Because when you have a crosswind and you just the hole can go in the same direction, but it can just jog a little differently than the last hole, and the wind plays so drastically different. Yeah, and also crosswinds are just sort of more fun hard winds. They're- yeah, I mean, they're awful. harder, easier. I don't know. Like you're into the wind, you're, you're downwind, the into the wind holes become harder and the downwind holes might become easier depending on how the green is designed. But if you're talking right, left strategy, if you're talking lateral strategy, which is what the old course has always tried to do. And which is the thing that is, is sort of going away from today's pro game because it doesn't matter right, left where you are so much. It just matters if you can, you know, uh, flip a wedge into the green, on the old course, it's it's right-left strategy, and that crosswind will accentuate it uh, one way or the other and give you the opportunity to uh, make some strategic plays off the tee. Now, the the thing this week is that we didn't have much wind, and so uh, it, it that was maybe a little bit less of a factor. But uh, in any case, a big part of the course, part of the course, I want to hear you talk about, and that jumped out at me this week in terms of just the entertainment value and the importance to the round in a way that I didn't expect was the loop. You mentioned it earlier. It's basically holes seven through 11, but I'd include 12 also in that sequence of holes because 12 is, is sort of like nine and 10, a short par four. That's really dynamic and it's, it's scoring profile, if you want to call it that. But the other holes in the loop include short par four seventh, you have the eighth hole, which is a par three, the short hole. You have 11, the Eden hole, really hard par three. And then you have those two very short nine and ten. par fours, nine and 10, which were drivable for most of the week this week. So uh, what did you notice that at the loop? Did you enjoy that part of the course as much as I did? Yeah. I mean, it's super cool. Um, one of the things that's funny, the first I, I I I haven't played the course yet. I I think I might be playing it shortly after recording this, but Ooh, um, okay. But the uh, I think fingers crossed. Um, but the the thing about it when you walk, like the first time I walked it, I got out to nine, and you you walk on this, you see these just like extra, I mean, mind melting greens on the way out. And obviously they're all double greens and I kind of was trying to just look at them in the vein of the hole that I was walking. Yeah. And you've seen this like wide array of crazy greens. And at the start of the loop is maybe the craziest one is the 11th and the seventh greens. And then you get uh, eight is kind of like, you're kind of like, okay, it's a little boring. You know, it's like, this is like, <laughs> it's huge part three and this huge, like pretty flat green. Yeah. And then you go to nine and you're just like, 
Well, this hole is like this hole you could put on any course. Like this is just this reminds me of like a muni hole, right? <laughs> yep. Except yep. for there's well, like center line bunkers. It, it just like reminds you of like a a pasture course hole, right? Right. Yeah. Um, it's got this huge green. It's super flat, and you're just like, well. I mean, I guess it, it it's kind of, and you think about it in your head, it's like, I guess it's kind of nice to have a break. Like, that's the way I kind of thought about it. And and the 10th, the only thing that saves the 10th from having a similar fate, fate is, is the 9th is like, it's got this really audacious false front, which we saw with Rory's hole out. You know, it's a really neat front part of the green. So it's kind of like this lull. But it, if you think about it from like a song, perspective it's like kind of like a the chilled out part of the song before you get rocking again the, the right? interlude yeah it's like the, a, uh, it's almost a, like a piano a solo it's like yeah. a piano solo or like a bass song. solo <laughs> yeah <laughs> or like it just it drops away like... and it's just the bass and the drums <laughs> and uh and then and then it ramps back up with like the heart maybe the most like taxing shot on the golf course with the 11th so you come in and the seventh green is like out of the control, crazy stuff happens. We saw it like Cam Cam uh, Young and on Saturday chunk that wedge. You know, um, Rory's ball is literally like what was it like? Uh, I couldn't see it land, but like a foot or two from being perfect. Instead, it it runs over to the left, and instead of a birdie opportunity, he's trying to scrambling to make par. Um, it's just this like chaos spot, and there's the, you're crisscrossing there, and that that nine ten is kind of like okay, we just. We need two like kind of chill holes after this nuts part. And then 11 comes back. And it's just wild. And then 12 is another scoring opportunity. I think what makes it is that little center section in, in terms of tournament golf provides this opportunity for people to go on crazy runs. Yep. You know, you can go exactly. through there and make you could, you know, seven is like you, you kind of think you should make a birdie eight. If you hit a good shot. And the pin's not in a crazy, you can make a birdie. Nine, you feel like you should make a two or three most days. Ten, you feel like you should make a birdie. And then 11's obviously going to be hard. You're going to take a par every time. But then 12, at the end of it, when you leave, it's it's really neat. Uh, it, it's like a another birdie opportunity. So you get this flurry of scoring. The other thing about it is there's this communal feel. It's like an amphitheater, right? The the every You can see everything going on. I was standing... For most of it, I walked down to near like 10T, 9 green to see Rory and Cam play there. But I sat for a while on 11T and I could see everything going on from that spot. And all the spectators there saw it. And then the last part is it's the most exposed part of the course. And we didn't see this on Sunday because the wind wasn't blowing. But out there, that's where like the, the conditions, it gets, it's colder and it's it's windy because of the estuary, the Eden estuary behind the the eleventh green. So it's just um, listen, like the ninth hole is to me like it's it doesn't it doesn't fit the golf course. It's really weird. It's the least good I, hole at St Andrews. Everybody says yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Nine, it, nine and just, ten, maybe even throw eight in there. Might be the architecturally least interesting holes at St Andrews, especially if you can can find some more features on on one but uh but uh, yeah and and knowing that going in i was fascinated how big of a role that stretch played in the championship because it was such an opportunity and not only that but if you got through there and you didn't go a couple under then you missed it and rory today he played those holes one under basically he made a birdie on 10 yes and he easily could have gotten to 20 under by hole 12 easily. He should have. Yes. And then he could play the way he played coming in, which was clearly his intention in the final round was kind of to play this somewhat conservative form of golf where he was really avoiding big trouble and he was two putting a lot, but he had to make those birdies. He had to, he had to birdie nine. He had to birdie 12. He just had to get it done. And he didn't. And, and one of the things about it is like, it it puts a little pressure when you expect to score well on a hole. There is like a psychological thing, like you know you have to get it done. But I think I you know is in the way Cam Smith what came out of there with ten birdieing ten eleven twelve. You know for sure. 
Yeah. All right. Well, we, we've spent a good amount of time on what might be the least interesting holes on the course, which is, uh, which is funny, but you know, you'll have plenty of other thoughts about, uh, St. Andrews coming up soon. You're writing something for tonight's newsletter, I believe, um, Mm -hmm. or what will be, I don't know when this podcast is coming out, but it's going to be Monday's Today's, newsletter. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm sure we'll get some more thoughts in, in, in the coming days uh, about what you saw out there. But uh, thanks for coming on the pod, obviously, Andy, and enjoy the rest of your time in Scotland. Thanks, Garrett. This episode of the Fried Egg Podcast was edited by me, Garrett Morrison. If you've enjoyed the Fried Eggs Major Championship coverage this year, consider leaving a rating and review in iTunes. That's one of the simplest and most effective ways of supporting what we do here. All right, that's it for the 2022 Men's Majors, but there's a lot of golf still to be played this summer, from the U.S. Amateurs for men and women to the Women's Open at Muirfield. So make sure you're subscribed, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.